This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 30 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we talked to Paul Hiley about equine importation and quarantine, the best oils to feed horses, the critical role of circulation, and tips for finding good dog breeders and reputable rescues. Hi, Tig. What's up? Tigger, you don't drink, but why? You sound like you've been drinking. Have you just, like fallen off the wagon or something? Water. Uh, yeah. It's her water wagon. It's her water wagon? <laughs> yes. I get, I get stupid when I get to Wellington. Uh, now, when you go to Wellington, Tigger, do you go to Wellington annually? Is it a regular thing? Yes, every year. Every year. And do you yep. stay at the same place every year? Uh, uh, this is the second year in this house, mm-hmm. but it seems like I'm, I move every two years to a, rent a different house. So you just rent a house? Do you rent a house all to yourself so you can get some quiet time? Or do you rent a house no, with everybody no, else? No, I rent it with Hedwig. Yeah. Oh, you yes. poor thing. She comes with a lot of cheese. A lot of cheese. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of cheese. And and when you come and when you come to Wellington each year, how many of your canine companions come along with you? Uh, two. two. I have uh, Kimasabi and Crockett who were with me last year. So they come in. So they know the ropes. They you know, know they're they're very experienced at it. But it's 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 going from my bucolic farm life in Virginia mm. to. The insanity. Uh, the insanity yeah. and pressure and, and and there's more congestion here. There's more people. There's more traffic. There's more yeah. vibrations. Yeah. If you could take, if you can imagine New York City, Times Square was a horse show venue. That's Wellington. <laughs> yeah. I was there for a half a day and I was on edge jitters. It's like, I'd, give me some tranquilizers, please. I was there for a half a day. Oh, that's so funny. Crazy there. I mean, it's, I get why yeah. everybody goes because of the showing and other thing, but man, what a pressure cooker. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're in the, you know, the service business that I'm in, just like, you know, farriers and vets, and it's a very, I mean, the, the service providers are working just as hard as yeah. the the grooms and um, the barn staff and the riders and the trainers. I mean, everything everybody ha- is working yeah. at full capacity. Everything yeah. has to happen yesterday. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So it's um, it's quite an adjustment for me, and it is every year. Even though I know that's it's not a surprise, it's not unexpected. But I get down here, and I mean, you literally. I arrived Thursday, and Friday morning, I was off running. Yeah. I mean, yeah. now how long so, do you usually stay down till the middle or end of March? So it's you're there for quite months. some some time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, maybe hopefully we'll catch up with you. You usually go down to Wellington for a day or so and 
go watch some stuff. So hopefully we'll catch up with you when we go down. There's, there's, a, we, I was at the, uh, the Gold Coast, Gold Coast, hmm. the uh, global opening uh, CDI this weekend. And, um, you know, the, the dressage musical freestyle is Friday night. And there were 12 horses and I was in the VIP tent, which I hadn't experienced that before. And that was really kind of incredibly awesome. Yeah. Uh, but you really see the sport at the, the, the most elite level. And I was sitting with a judge who was judging the national shows. And, you know, she said, it's so great to see this level of Grand Prix and this level of Intermediaire and Pre-St. George. But she said, but then the reality is that when I go around the country judging, uh, that's not what I'm going to see. Yeah. And it made me very, very aware of the very delicate, tricky role of a judge who's, who sees the really, really good riders and horses which is a very small number and then is moving around the country, judging at uh, dressage shows all over the place. And those horses and those riders haven't gotten to that elite level. Yeah. And you kind of have to adjust your expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because sure. you can't expect, you know, that a Grand Prix horse, um, insert, you know, in any part of the country is going to be, you know, Lisa Wilcox and Gallant. Yeah. Well, that's what makes uh, them elite. If everybody could get it, it wouldn't be right. elite anymore, right? But I yeah. think it's so important for hunt, for, you know, people who do uh, hunters, for people who do jumpers, for people who do dressage, to come down to Wellington for short periods of time, of course. <laughs> um, but really see that level to have something to aspire to, because I think in our own backyards, we're in a comfort zone. And if we do well, we think, hey, you know, we're pretty good. And then you this. go to a yeah. show like Global and you go, oh, wow. Well, I mean, this judge was telling me that her third level class that she was judged, she had judged that day, or the lowest score she gave was a 69 and the highest yeah. score she gave was a 75. She yeah. said those horses were so uphill and so engaged they they were they were ready for FEI. Yeah. And through and you know flowing and and they're probably schooling pre-state George I won at home and they yeah. bring them out at third level so it's easy for the horse. But well, I think it, the Florida experience is important yeah. for I th- I think you're right. It's Look at it as something that is inspiring because you have to have a balance of things that you do in your horse life that inspire yeah. you and things that yeah. you do in your horse life that are work a day and are literally getting things done. So you go there and you get inspired in the dead of winter when you yes. really can't ride your horse in upper Michigan. Right. You know, so go down, treat yourself to a weekend or a three day weekend or something and, and pick out some classes that you want to watch. It's all right there online. You can see who's, do, who's doing what, where and when. Treat yourself to that. Maybe even bring your, whip out your phone and get some video of it if you're there during the day. Use that yeah. to inspire you so that when the weather breaks and you can get to that workaday part of your horse life, you've really got something to sustain you through the days that you just don't have the mental energy to get on your horse. Yeah. 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 
And and the thing about global and and Wellington at large is it's very easy to watch the schooling areas and the warm-up areas, and you can see how these really good riders and these really good trainers, how they work through the problems that everybody who rides has. Mm-hmm. Or balks or yeah. spooks. I love the warm-up arena. It's my favorite place it, to hang out. Mine too. Mine too. Yeah. Mine, absolutely. And seeing how... You know, some riders are really, really soft. They just, they get on, they go out to the warm-up. There's not a tense elbow, shoulder, nothing. And then others, you can tell, you know, they're feeling the pressure. This is not a judgment. And they get tight and the horse Mm -hmm. gets a little tight. And they have to work at letting go of that tension so the horse relax. Yeah. And, and and, you know, people who have quarter horses and, and compete in, raining in barrels and and eventing you know there's a big eventing uh mini sort of event in wellington the quarter horses you know that's there's the congress there's uh those the big appy show the big paint shows those are the things that you you want to get out of your barn or ranch and go to and watch and learn yeah yeah. Absolutely. There you go. Inspiration, people. Give yourself Inspiration. treat yourself to a three day weekend. <laughs> there you go. And speaking Amen. Of, speaking of three day weekends. Yes. <laughs> we we've we've got a uh, guest lined up here to chat with, all about three day weekends for imported horses. <laughs> yep. Ah uh, yes. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> Quarantine and, and importation. Here we yeah. go. And we're here with Paula Hiley. In Wellington, Florida, Paula manages a very successful quarantine station in Wellington. Welcome, Paula. Thank you, Tigger. It's nice to be with you. Welcome, Paula. <laughs> Thank you. Just, I just wanted to get my two cents in. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please continue. <laughs> um, Paula, you probably don't know this, but Patty actually um, had a quarantine station. So... Yep. Um, in Virginia, but um, for for our listeners who may not be familiar with the import, export, and quarantine procedures, can you tell us a little bit about what it is to import a horse into this country and what what kind of procedures they have to go through when they land? Uh, sure. Um, horses that come into the United States from Europe, um, there are mares, geldings, and stallions that come in. Uh, geldings are required to spend 48 hours at the USDA facility that they fly into. So whether it be uh, Miami or New York, uh, and then from there they are released into the general population. Uh, mares and stallions, however, have to go through a CEM process um, that is supervised by uh, the state in which they have been flown into. So whether they fly into New York and then go to a CEM facility that is approved in that state or whether they fly into Florida and come into a CEM approved facility in our state. And what does CEM stand for? What what are they testing? CEM is contagious equine metritis. And what that is, is that is a sexually transmitted disease among horses caused by a bacteria. So the United States is considered CEM free, as is Canada. So horses that fly into the United States or Canada need to go through the CEM process if they are a mare or a stallion. 
Is CEM more widely found in Europe and South America? It is more widely found in Europe. Um, Europe is not CEM free. Um, and so because of that process, uh, horses that enter here have to go through the required testing to ensure that they're not bringing the disease, which is a sexually transmitted venereal disease, into the United States. And, and what, what is the testing that they, that they actually do on the mares and the stallions once they're in quarantine? So the process is different for both a mare and a stallion. Uh, the mares need to go through a process um, uh, that starts with blood work, uh, and then from there, uh, their genitalia is tested. Very similar uh, for, I guess, layman people for a pap smear for women. Mm -hmm. The horses, the mares, have a, a test done um, that is uh, done over a period of days um, to test for whether or not they are CEM positive. And for stallions, uh, stallions uh, come into the United States, spend the 48 hours in Miami, come to our facility where their uh, penis is cultured. And then after eight days, um, we have ensured that the culture from that uh, swab is clean through the lab. They then live cover two test mares. And then the test mares that the stallion has bred go through the same process as the mares that are in quarantine. And what happens to the foal if they're impregnated? The mares, um, uh, on the day, 21 days after they have been bred, um, a CF test is done, which is a blood test. And on the day that the CF test is done, they are given a shot, which is like a day after shot. So if they are in full, the full would be absorbed. Um, and then they are good to, after 48 hours of that blood test, to go to another stallion again if we have another stallion that is in the quarantine facility. What happens if a horse tests positive for CEM? If a horse tests positive for CEM, there are procedures that can be done uh, that are treatment protocols. Um, so the owners have two options. The horse can either be sent back to Europe, um, which is obviously an option, uh, and the other one is that the horse can be treated. Uh, both mares and stallions can be successfully treated with topical and systemic antibiotics. Um, the problem is with that for some owners is once they have uh, started that protocol, they then have to wait 21 days uh, from the final uh, treatment, uh, and then they would begin the CEM process again. And it's expensive. Uh, I mean, that's a big it thing. Cause it, it, yeah, because I mean, it, that's exp it's so expensive. Is, the treatment is, is expensive? No, to have to go through the, the process CEM again. CEM again. To go through the CEM process is expensive. I mean, uh, the process for a mare and stallion, a mare generally costs, at the facility that I manage, we charge $2,700 for a mare, which mm -hmm. includes the 14 to 16 days board that they're there, all the CEM testing. So they get hay, shavings, grain, uh, their stall picked out four times a day, and the full use of the facility. So in Florida, for example, they can ride and exercise their horses just as they would at their own farm or at a horse show. 
Um, with stallions, uh, the cost at the facility, again, that I am at, um, is 12750 And that includes, again, all the CEM testing, the use of the two test mares for the approximately right. 36 days that they're there, um, and, again, the full use of the facility and the full care of their horse while they're there. The problem is, is that... It, if the stay becomes longer um, or they have to go through any kind of treatment program because their mare stallion has tested positive, uh, then that's when the costs start to build up because the quarantine facilities are geared for quarantine. So the costs for them to stay there are generally a little higher, I would say, than if you were boarding somewhere for a day. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm in shell shock over the twelve thousand dollars for a stallion. Well, you well, be, but you're paying a, really for three horses. Yeah, you are, and that's right. the thing that people don't understand because literally after the stallion breeds the mare, the stallion you don't even touch it. It has he has really nothing to do after that. It's all about Absolutely. the mare. Absolutely, that's exactly right. So from the day the stallion arrives on the property, two mares are assigned to him. Uh, so from day one, you've got three horses for 36 days you're paying for. Yeah. So you're so, renting mares, so to speak. You know. Is it live cover or? Yes. Yeah. It is. Yes, it is live cover. Yep. Wow. So, but the test mares that the, that the facilities have and, and our mares at our facility are, I mean, they are treated good as gold. They are turned out they're in nice stalls just like the quarantine horses um you know they get their feet done every five weeks they get grain and hay and shavings in their stalls and they spend their summers up in virginia when the season is quiet and they go out in a nice big grass field and live for four or five or six months up there which is fabulous for them um but when they're down here and the breeding process occurs uh i mean the mares are brought into season um, the vet that we use, Dr. Aaron Newkirk at Reed and Associates, is an absolute leader in the field of um, the CEM protocol for stallions and reproduction of productive medicine. So we're using the best vet we feel in the state of Florida for this. Um, mm. And she is absolutely uh, very cautious and very aware with regards to ensuring the process is safe for primarily the stallion, but also for our test mares. So that if they're not extremely receptive, if the stallion is overly aggressive, we have the opportunity to stop the process, you know, look at other mares that we have available and begin again so that it is safe for everyone, the handlers and the horses. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an amazing, I mean, when we did this, um, we have a farm in Virginia and we were, it's gosh, it's been what, 10 years now. And we actually literally had one horse that came in, came in with five other horses from Spain. And we had this one younger stallion that just didn't like one of the mares he was assigned to. (laughs) And we, and we had to wait for one of the other stallions who had one of the mares that he liked because we couldn't get him to breed. And this was a young juvenile stallion that had never bred. And we literally had to wait for the other mare to get out of her protocol and out of quarantine and recycle the stallion. I mean, there, it's amazing the different stories that you can, that, that happen with all this, but you know, it's a, it is, it becomes such a, um, 
I mean, I'm, and I'm sure it's even different than it was then, but, you know, it, it really, it's, it becomes quite a template and most of the horses fit into that template. Don't you think? I mean, you sort of have the protocol, you do what you're going to do. And most of the time you don't have any issues with mares or the stallions, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny, the stallions that have experience, they're, they're good at their job and they know what they're there for and they come out and they breed and they, I, I mean, this probably sounds bizarre, but they appreciate the mare. They're not, they're oh, not yeah. Uh, yeah. aggressive. They're not bullies. They're not, you know, those, the things that people tend to think of when you think of a stallion live breeding a mare. Yeah. And you do have stallions that don't like yeah. the color <laughs> of the mare. And yeah. I mean, we have very many pairs of mares and, you know, one of them is gray and another one is, is a bay. And yeah. Um, they might like the gray and they might not like the bay, but again, and that's where Dr. Newkirk comes into the picture because, you know, you can, the mares, of course, as you know, are, are hobbled and tranquilized a little bit for the process, but they're not tranquilized enough that they can't move. So you get a stallion that's not interested and you can get the mare, you know, walking around the breeding Mm -hmm. facility or, trotting a little bit around the facility and that very much perks the stallion that's not interested or inexperienced it's just so funny when you said because this one stallion and it it was just this the funniest thing we would stand that we would trot the mare around we'd move her we would do it we'd make her bat her eyes we would do whatever we could and and he was just going yep not gonna happen not gonna do it he'd be looking his watch you know he's like yeah there's a girl out in the field I got to And it was, you know, in all the times that we did it, cause we did it for 10 years, we only ever had that happen once. We had tons of other things happen, but it's just, you know, it's, it is amazing. Um, cause it, cause in the end, it doesn't take that long. If it goes well, it really is no big deal. Right. I mean, you know, you get the mayors. To come and yeah. It's no big deal, but it's, no. the, it's that one, that one <laughs> that makes it, you know, go on forever, you know? Yeah. So funny. You know, and it's, and it's nice because at, at our facility, and I'm not sure, I don't think all the other quarantines do offer this, but at our facility, we allow the clients to watch the breeding process if they're interested mm-hmm. or to send a groom or their manager so that they can ensure that the well-being of their stallion is taken care of during the process. Right. That's and really nice. we have a lot, I, I would say probably 70 to 80% of our breedings are attended by someone that's involved with the stallion that's there. Yeah, that's really nice because that that nice. can be that because that can be really hard, and obviously that says a lot about you and the management bit of of that because it that's a difficult thing um, to have to have people there when you know if things don't go well, you know, not when I say not go well in a in a dangerous way, but just some sometimes horses don't cooperate. Sometimes horses don't cooperate, and sometimes you know, I mean, we've you know we've had a stallion that's been on top of a mare and and he's done and he just kind of falls over. You oh know, yeah, I mean, you kind of go, "What are you doing?" Like, oh my goodness, he had to have a smoke. Yeah, but you I mean, know, yeah, he needs a scotch and a cigarette or something. Right. It's quite funny, actually. Have you ever had a young one the first time it's ever bred pass out? Literally pass out? No, I, we have not had that happen. Oh yeah, I've had several young horses that came in <laughs> that have never been bred. They were three year olds. <laughs> passed out and we're standing there and all of a sudden we're going oh yeah his eyes are shut this is not good and boom and i mean literally it was it and and the and the state vet of course is there going <laughs> as he's about to hit the ground he he passed out i knew it was going to happen yeah i mean it's it's just it's just amazing it's it's truly and that's the other thing too 
you know, what people don't realize when they do something like this, going to a place that's run some something, you know, like this, like Paula, who has experience doing this, is that if you do have a horse that is aggressive or isn't or is not an aggressive breeder that you, you know, that has bred before that you really have to kind of coax them into it, you know, having the person who's handling the horse and handling the situation is utmost and becomes worth millions of dollars because Absolutely. you can you know, you can take an aggressive horse and have it handled improperly and never breed well again, or you can take a horse that's never bred before, you know, (laughs) and pass out and, you know, whatever. I mean, there's so many scenarios that can make this go wrong and they're not that they don't, they don't happen a lot, but when they do, it's great to have good staff like this, you know? Well, and, and, and that's why Dr. Newkirk is fabulous, but she also, the, the lady that works with her, her vet tech, Anna Meta Minor, um, Mm -hmm. is a fabulous stallion handler. And, you know, either the uh, James or myself are on the other side of the stallion, but right. Animetta for sure is leading the way and, you know, makes the calls and she is absolutely fantastic at, you know, not getting stressed, not getting mm-hmm. worked up, you know, when a, when a stallion, as you say, is good or bad or not, it's not cooperating or whatever, She's the calm person in the group, her and Aaron, and they're Dr. Oh, Newkirk, great. and they're just fantastic. Yeah. So, Paul, and they make our what, job easy. <laughs> what is the most challenging part of your job managing a quarantine facility? I would say the most challenging part of managing the quarantine facility is just the volume, the numbers of mares and signs that come in and out, and ensuring that a culture is not missed. Mm. Um, that their health is kept at an utmost. And, you know, these horses from Europe come over and uh, the change of environment, the change of weather, um, you know, a, a lot of them come hairy and so they get off the truck and they're sweaty and they need to be clipped. And, and the environmental here, issues here in Florida, I find, are the most difficult to breed, to to deal with with regards to I mean, you know all of those issues, the summer sores, the bell boot rubs, the bumps that they get from having allergic reactions to the different things in the environment. Um, And, you know, the clients want to ride the horses and they're getting them ready to compete at WEF or at Global Dressage. And, you know, for us, I need to make sure that the cultures are done. But, you know, every morning when I get to the barn and walk through the barn, you know, I've got 40 or 50 horses that I need to look at and need to make sure that they don't have big legs or that they mm-hmm. don't have sores that an owner has missed and a fly gets on it and overnight it becomes three inches around as opposed to the size of a fingernail. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I find, I would say, the most um, demanding of the position. Um, are those two things and, and coordinating all the stalls. I mean, horses arriving and horses leaving and who's going where and, you know, making sure that it all fits in the, you know, in the puzzle. How many horses come through that facility? Uh, last year, uh, actually we had, uh, the numbers for the Florida department of agriculture in 2016 were down slightly from the year before. And our numbers were up at our facility with regards to mares and stallions. We had just over 250 mares and stallions at Wellington quarantine last year, um, with 90% of them coming from the period of January, February and November and December. Wow. You know, the, the few filter in the other 
eight months of the year, but those four months, you know, were on overload for sure. Wow. Wow. It's a lot. Now, do you have to to do any biosecurity hazards? Like when you've got a horse that's leaving quarantine, do you have to bleach the stall? I mean. Absolutely. Um, There are protocols that are in place from the Florida Department of Agriculture, which we follow very closely. Uh, So anytime a horse leaves the stall, the stall is stripped, the stall is bleached, the feed buckets and water pails are all bleached. Uh, The stall is then pressure washed, uh, dried and prepared for the next horse to come in. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same with the horse trailers that come. The horse trailers that arrive from, uh, to our facility from Miami, um, once a mare or stallion is off the transport truck, if there are other geldings or horses on there or not, uh, the trailer itself is picked out from where the horse has been. The shavings are removed from that stall on the horse trailer, and that stall on the horse trailer is also disinfected under the supervision wow. of the Florida Department of Agriculture. Yeah. Well, and then, and I'm sure, the, I mean, obviously they still just do the same thing, but we were working with Newburgh and coming to Virginia, but, you yes. know, when they get the horses off onto the trailers, they seal the trailer. And yes, they do. Depending, and, and obviously they're coming from Miami, so it's not as much of a trip, but it was nine hours. And sometimes these horses, because they're released at certain times, um, my husband would, you know, be bringing back four horses and he would have left at three o'clock in the afternoon and he'd be getting into Virginia at two o'clock in the morning. And yeah. so the state vet had to be there and that was not, you know, you know, the state vet has to be there to break that seal at two in the morning. And that happens a lot. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of tedious, uh, work that sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense for horse people, but you know what, uh, it's amazing all the stuff you keep talking about protocol, but you know, I don't know if they still do that purple solution that you have to step in and, um, before you come in and out of the stall or put the booties on or, you know, all the different things that you have to do, which people just don't think about, you know, they're just well, like, okay. we've, um, like we've got a mayor actually that flew into Newburgh that's arriving at our facility here in Florida tomorrow because the Miami USDA is full. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we've got a horse coming from Newburgh tomorrow that will be arriving that uh, left there this morning around 11 o'clock apparently was the release. So it'll be at our facility tomorrow morning. Uh, But yes, we have uh, foot baths um, at the entrance to all of the barns, the stallion barn, the mare barns, and as well Mm -hmm. all the different entrances because the way the facility is set up, people can park at the back and walk into the barns that way. So there's another foot bath back there right. that's got a germicide in it um, uh, and a water mixture um, that, again, has been proved, uh, approved by the Florida Department of Agriculture. So um, all of those protocols are still in place. And, and um, you know, the, the amazing thing is that the clients, uh, at least the clients that we have at our facility, I find are very good at following the protocol, at using the hand sanitizer, at using the foot bath, um, oh, and at following the rules because they don't want to jeopardize their mirror stallion getting held up because they've done something silly mm-hmm. when the rules have been very clearly explained to them upon their arrival at the facility when they've had their tour and done the paperwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paula, thank you so much for coming on and explaining quarantine and import importation because it's, 
it's not as simple as one would think just saying, oh, I no. think I'm going to import a mare or I'd like to import a stallion. It's, it's quite a process. It is. And it's, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun because we get a lot of different, I mean, we get polo horses and dressage horses and jumpers and we've got a couple of fabulous dressage horses at our facility right now that are just wonderful to watch the people ride. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 90% of our business or 80%, I would say for sure is the hunter jumper industry, but you know, we've had Frisians come through, we've had, um, carriage horses come through, we've had everything. And it's interesting to see all the different breeds and types and deal with the different clients. Um, and they for sure are all very appreciative of, of, you know, what we do at the facility to make sure that their stay is as uneventful as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, having been to that facility, Paul, I, I, I give it five stars. Absolutely. Oh, thank so, and, you. And that's due to you. So. Well, thank yeah. you very much. It, uh, it's a fun job and uh, the clients are great. And, and I mean, when you love the horses, uh, but I'll tell you without the staff that we have and the veterinarians that we have and the state veterinarian that we have that work with us, none of it would happen as smoothly as mm. it does. Right. Right. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Paula, thanks so much. And, um, I will, I will see you soon at the dog yeah. park. <laughs> Yes, you will. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure talking with you, and uh, uh, we will see you ever you soon. Absolutely. Okay. Have a nice okay. evening. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> sheepish. Hmm. <laughs> Hi, Hetty. Hetty. Hello, Patty and Pickle. And is it Jennifer today? I'm here, Hedwig. It's nice to hear your voice. Oh, Jennifer, happy new year to you. Thank you very much. Just to her? Yeah, only me. You guys don't get it. So there. Ha. Yeah, we're great. Huh. I wish you Happy New Year already, Patty and Tiggle. That block of cheese is on its way, by the way, Hedwin. That's right. Yeah, where's my freaking cheese? There you go. I'm the hit star, and I get no cheese? That's right. You get you get poems written about you, and there's no cheese. I demand more no cheese. cheese. I should. I deserve a raisin cheese. I think so. I think you do, too. Hi, <laughs> So Jennifer, are you going to ask that our, our question for Hedwig? Oh, I thought I thought you were asking the question today. No, I think you should ask it. I forget what it was. You're all scared, aren't you? You're terrified of being mocked again. <laughs> oh, I, oh, oh! I remember. What is it that you're dreaming? <gasps> oh yeah, that one. So you yeah. want to ask it? Well, you know, um, canines are famous for. Chasing bunnies in their sleep. They they yip and bark and their little paws go and it's so adorable. What are you guys dreaming about when your little paws are going when you're sleeping? What do I dream about when I'm having catching dreams or nightmares? Happy dreams. <laughs> oh, happy ones. Okay, no problem. Um, geez. <laughs> I told you. What did I tell you? <laughs> Wheel of cheddar is slowly rolling away from me, and I'm cantering toward it in a lolloping way, ready to sink my teeth into its fat 
round kitten shape. <laughs> yes. And I then there's you. another dream oh. where I find a giant bar of chocolate. And I unwrap it with my tether paws and I eat the whole thing and I don't get sick. That's and then nice. there's another dream where I am dropped into a nice pool of cheese. It's just three or four inches. It's deep, a chippy like fondue. <laughs> and I just, I just go to town. Huh. I just eat all the cheese. <laughs> What are you going to do when the new puppy arrives? I'm not not going to eat it. If that's <laughs> what gonna... you're trying to suggest. No, hmm, I mean, are, are you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tigger. What were you suggesting? I, I I was suggesting not eating, but you know, it's going to be very different when the servant has to take care of a puppy. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it will be different because we're going to do most of the work, as we so frequently do. Oh, good point. <laughs> of course. My sister yeah. and I are puppy experts. As you might recall, we had large numbers of puppies. And my sister said her puppies were all smart and beautiful and had wonderful homes. So this puppy is in good cause. I think it will turn out okay. But since you have raised the subject of the puppy, may I say something about my sister? Sure. Yes. Well, as many of you know, because of my Facebook page, I had a sister who was not a Pomeranian. She was a Corgi, and she was an active member of the Corgan Liberation Front. I <laughs> lived undercover for many, many years in Manhattan and in Millbrook, but recently her cover was blown. And in an attempt to fly swat her like a Russian espionage movie, <laughs> she faked her own death. And went Rickenbach on us, and she, we have to say she died. Oh, that's very sad. But, yeah, that is sad. We don't, we don't know that she really died because, as a famous double agent, it is possible that she has gone on to retire from the world of mm. secret agents and has re- returned to Wales to train a whole new generation of organ <laughs> heroes. You know, I think that's probably what happened. I hope so. That's what I'm thinking. Because we weren't there, so we don't really know. We just know what the human told us, and she's often wrong. (laughs) Yes, as are humans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, boy. She is. She doesn't understand anything. No, they don't. Well, we we understand just a little bit more now about uh, what our canine companions and friends are dreaming about when their little paws they're go and they're so about cute. Food. And now I've learned just a little bit more about the secret agent corgi. <laughs> yes. yes. Population. Which, is, I didn't know. which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, so, that's the so, whole thing. Next time we talk to you, Hetty, we'll find out how your puppy training is going. Oh, we're going to whip that little fluffer into shape. Don't you worry. <laughs> no doubt. I'd, I'd no actually doubt. like pic- pictures of that for the healthy well, critters. It's smaller yeah. than us still, so yeah. don't worry. <laughs> we're on it. Good. Quite literally, we're going to be on it like a white on rice. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Hetty. Thanks, Hetty. Talk to you later, Hetty. Thank you.
we are at the Tigapedia portion of our show. And Tigs, I've got a, a good question for you that a lot of people I know have asked me. And I always say, ask Tigger. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. Um, the question is, what are, what, what are the best oils to feed horses? And I know that's kind of a wide open topic, but you know, yes. a lot of people like to do it. They like to add it for fat, etc. So, all right, go have fun with this one. Well, it, it's, it's more complicated than it than always is. Isn't <laughs> what are you feeding an oil for? Let's are just you- say, let's yeah. just, okay. Why would you recommend oil? How about that? Let's start there. Okay. So you would, re- <clears throat> I would recommend an oil when you need a quick delivery of energy. Okay. When you need to put weight on a horse fairly rapidly. Okay. Depending on the oil, um, some oils are very, are highly therapeutic, like hemp seed oil. Which I love. So me too, which, you know, you would feed for the hindgut ulcer issue horses. Mm -hmm. Um, Some horses need high vitamin E's and then you'd want to go with a camelina oil. Okay. But when you're assessing, because there's lots of different oils, there's, you know, corn oil and vegetable oil and rice bran oil and flax flax oil oil and coconut oil and coconut oil and corn oil. And um, one of the most important things to look at is the quality of the oil itself. So when we take corn oil, soy oil, and vegetable oil, vegetable oil is a combination of corn and soy. Those and rice bran oil typically are solvent uh, process, which means they use a chemical called hexane, which is classified as a neurotoxin. They heat the oil, they extract it with a solvent from the corn or from the soy. Um, so the solvent acts to separate the oil, right? Mm-hmm. Then they heat the oil up at, to a very high temperature. And the best description I can give you is, imagine you take some oil and you pour it into a saucer and you heat it on the stove and then you drink it. You Yeah. Well, that's the problem with highly processed oils. Okay. It, they become totally denatured. All they have is fat. And you're missing all the key helpful components of that oil. So, for instance, uh, about 20 years ago, wheat germ oil was very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, wheat germ has naturally occurring vitamin E, right? That's a good okay. thing. Very yeah. antioxidant. Yep. But when you process it this way, the E is destroyed. So they had to add the E back. So it became fortified with vitamin E. So then it was just a fat with added synthetic E. Mm-hmm. So... It's sort of like um, the difference between, you know, your dollar ninety nine olive oil and your extra virgin. Right. Okay. Cold it's all in the processing then. All in the process. Okay. So more of the unique, I'll say unique oils, like hemp seed oil, like camelina oil, even to some degree flax will fall into this category. They are cold pressed. So they they are never heat extracted and no solvent is used. Okay. 
So they literally just press it, just yeah. like olive oil. Okay. Those oils are typically significantly more costly, but you use less and get more because you get all the nutrients that occur in that in those oils. Okay. Uh, coconut oil is in a sort of a class by itself. Um, again, it can be solvent extracted, and certainly the cheaper coconuts are when it says refined coconut oil on the label. That means it's been heat extracted. Okay. Um, but when it's when it says cold or virgin coconut oil, then that means that that it has not been denatured. Okay. And you can use a refined coconut oil topically. Right. If you're just looking for sort of an emollient. But if you want the benefits of coconut oil, then you want to make sure that it's virgin or cold pressed. Okay. Well, I mean, it's there's so many different types that are out there. And it is amazing um, the different reasons why people use them. You know, I mean, I think um, obviously my my big thing in the last, gosh, how many years has it been? As I love the hemp oil. And it's, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's, I mean, the, the difference I've seen by using the hemp oil was a putting weight on, but also the difference in their coats, which was yeah. like always amazing. Um, and of course, coconut oil, those are the, really the two big ones that I've been using. And just recently, um, you know, you've been telling about the camelina oil, I which love camelina oil. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, I know it's not easy and people just shouldn't go out and start dumping Don't corn pour oil. in mazola or yeah. canola oil. Or, right. you know, oh, that coca soya, mm -hmm. you know, soil oil is such a problem anyway, but yeah. it, it's, it's a better investment in your horse's health to buy a good oil and, and only have to use an ounce once or twice a day. Right. Well, cool. Yeah. Good. That, good. Cool. There we go. Cool. Now, you know. We've arrived at the at the Critter Nutrition Corner, and we're going to talk about circulation because circulation is a key component of performance and of healing and metabolic imbalances. The body's circulation system is responsible for sending blood, oxygen, and nutrients throughout the body. When blood flow is reduced, the body's ability to heal and repair is diminished. Increased blood flow is a significant benefit that allows the vascular highways to deliver oxygen and nutrients more efficiently. Increased circulation can help reduce inflammation and reduce oxidative stress. Benefits of increased circulation is it improves the oxygenation of the tissues, removes toxins and metabolic waste, enhances the healing process, and reduces inflammation and oxidative stress. Nitric oxide is a key signaling molecule in the body. It is a powerful vasodilator. The endothelium, which is the inner lining of blood vessels, uses nitric oxide to signal the surrounding smooth muscles to relax, thus resulting in increased blood flow. The amino acid arginine is a substrate for nitric oxide production. Specific foods such as pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, oranges, and nutritional yeast provide high amounts of arginine for nitric oxide production. Recent research has highlighted the role of Indian gooseberry and circulation. One of the widely used plants in Ayurvedic medicine is amla, also known as Indian gooseberry. 
It has been used on animals and humans for thousands of years. Eight recently published studies on a specific patented extract from Indian gooseberry called capros have demonstrated this plant's remarkable ability to increase nitric oxide production by 54% and increase the super antioxidant glutathione by 50%. Glutathione is known as the mother of all antioxidants. It supports the regulation of cell growth and division, protects DNA from oxidative stress, helps with amino acid transport in and out of the cell, and supports the humoral immune function. Research has shown that capros reduced levels of inflammatory biomarkers and improved endothelial function. This is very important because a study published September 29, 2016, Vascular Dysfunction in Horses with Endocrinopathic Laminitis, showed that endothelial dysfunction associated with hormonal conditions such as metabolic syndrome or Cushing's disease affects the laminar vessels and facial skin arteries of the horse. By improving endothelial function by relaxation via nitric oxide, there is increased blood flow and circulation. When horses exercise, nitric oxide is released, which increases blood flow to the muscles and organs, to the heart, and to the lungs. Nitric oxide is a short-lived molecule, so the longer it circulates, the greater the benefit to the cells, heart, lungs, nervous system, and muscles. Supplementing horses with foods and plants that increase nitric oxide can improve daily training and performance by reducing muscle fatigue, removing lactic acid, increasing oxygenation of muscles, and delivering more nutrients to the cells. Because nitric oxide plays an important role in healing via increased circulation, repair of muscles and connective tissues can be enhanced. Since the Indian gooseberry extract capros increases glutathione, this critical antioxidant is important in the production of ATP. Lower amounts of glutathione in the cells can slow down ATP production, resulting in fatigue. Furthermore, the recovery phase of training requires glutathione to mop up the free radicals, which cause oxidation. The free radicals can create inflammation unless regulated by potent antioxidants, such as glutathione. Nitric oxide can modulate the release of various inflammatory mediators. In relaxing the blood vessels, more nutrients are delivered to the area of the body that needs them. This is especially important for ligament and tendon injuries, muscle and joint injuries, and support. As the heart beats, blood is sent throughout the body. The heart is the key organ of the circulatory system. The feet are also responsible for pumping blood up and back to the heart. Inflammation in the foot will reduce the amount of circulation returning to the rest of the body and the heart. Nitric oxide helps recirculate by relaxing the smooth muscles, allowing for more blood flow. This is especially important to maintain healthy feet and to help with foot issues such as navicular, bursa inflammation, bruising, and laminitis. After testing the Indian gooseberry extract capros last year on a variety of horses, including performance horses, metabolic horses, horses on layup for ligament strains, older horses who get stiff and achy, and horses needing to grow more foot, it was time to make it available to horses. Coming February 1st, Biostar introduces Circuvate, the first equine supplement to use the Indian gooseberry extract capros. 
this extract has been approved by the FDA in part because of Indian gooseberry's long history of use in animals and humans. Capros has been intensively researched for efficacy, including seven published studies and four additional studies pending publication. Capros is derived from freshly harvested Indian gooseberry fruits, which are washed in purified water. Maximum yield of the bioactives are ensured by the selection of specific chemotypes of the plant and harvesting the fruit at the proper age. No solvents or pesticides are used in the growing or extraction process. Biostar Circuvate combines the arginine-rich foods for nitric oxide production. Pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, nutritional yeast, organic freeze-dried orange powder with additional vasodilation from organic ginger and the powerful Indian gooseberry extract, Capros. Biostar Circuvate provides circulatory support on a level not seen in an equine supplement before. It is free of additives, petroleum extracts, flavorings, preservatives, and sweeteners. It passed our palatability tests with flying colors. And the improvement in many of the test horses was beyond expectations. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So now we're at Coffee Clatch, and we are going to discuss uh, different avenues that we've chosen or used or that we know of to um, either purchase a new puppy or dog or rescue a new puppy or dog. And so we're all going to kind of chime puppies in. puppies and dogs. We do love puppies and dogs. Um, and, you know, what our, what our best advice is. So... Jennifer, why don't you... You always make me go first. It's because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you just do that to make sure I'm still awake at this hour of the night. Because That's there, are times, there are times I'm going, Jen's out of here, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how big the glass of wine was. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> really does. Let's see here. I don't have any experience purchasing from a breeder. Okay. Um, although growing up, my mom did breed dogs, so people purchased them from us. Right. But uh, myself, we have always gotten our dogs and puppies from various and sundry rescue organizations, from your local county shelter mm-hmm. to very specialized rescue groups, for example, Greyhound Rescues. Uh, right. So that's how we've gotten them. And one of the things... It's, it's kind of like when you go looking at a horse. When I go and I go and I meet my potentially new puppy or dog, I want to see a fresh, clean living environment, mm. whether that environment is a 
commercial kennel like you would see at the county shelter. Right. Or if it's at a private home because your potential new greyhound is being fostered. <laughs> I don't right. want to go in and, and see a pet that is being cared for and it's in a dirty environment because for me that just shows me that that's, that's a breeding ground for disease from my point of view. Yeah. Don't know if it's fact, but that's just one of my top ones. Just it's yeah. a clean living environment. It's not yeah. infested with anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a biggie for me. Oh, I I mean I agree. I think most people like to go. I do think it's sometimes unrealistic when people go and they're like, I just don't want it to smell like dogs are there. And I'm like, that's well, not realistic. It's gonna uh, smell no. like dogs. But there's a difference yeah. between smelling like dogs because there are seventy five dogs at the shelter. Yeah. 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 There is a difference, definitely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's okay. A, that's well, that was good. That's good, Tiggy. How about you? Because you can, you can, you're on both sides of that. Both fence. sides of that. Yes. Um, uh, I don't think I've ever adopted from a private rescue, but I certainly have from the local SPCA. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that really depends on your locality. Yeah, because um, there are certain you know shelters county shelters state shelters that are really well run and then there are some that are just horrible Mm. i i think that probably the most important thing if you're going to do a rescue in terms of priority is a shelter that that has a kill policy because that means you want to get in there and yeah um get that animal out yeah, um, but it, it's good that so many of these. I know in in you know in Charlottesville, our our SPCA is a no kill shelter, but mm. it took many years to get to that point. And there are some troubling issues with private um, rescues. Um, I I looked with a friend; she was looking for a, a rescue, and I mean the form that she had to fill out. I, I don't think they would want more information if you were trying to adopt a child. Yeah. And you have to have this and you have to have that. And it, 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 and you can see where a lot of dogs probably don't find homes because people are person, turned off by it. Yeah. They, they're turned off by it. And that some of the requirements are just, you know, your fence has to be six, six feet. feet. Yeah. It has to be concrete in the ground. And, um, I think that's a little excessive. You know, it's, and I agree. And I think the hard thing with that is, and I find this more and more, which is so troubling is that, you know, and I think we've talked about the three of us has talked about this before on other subjects. It's that we just sort of take for granted that people think like animal people. And there's a lot of people out there that aren't animal people and saying you have to have a six foot fence. um, You know, I mean, trying to set some sort of guidelines when people come in and not even that they're idiots, they're just ignorant. They don't know, you know, they're, they're first time dog people or whatever. I think, you know, that's always that hard balance. I mean, I, you know, I have, you know, I have looked at some stuff in the past and I've been like, Oh my gosh, like the six foot fence or the dog can never be off a leash or, you know, these things. And you're like, Holy crap. And someone once explained to me, you know, it isn't for you. (laughs) <laughs> it's for the person over there that has no clue. They want a dog, but they don't understand. But that. if you're signing an agreement, yeah, some of these rescues, 
they do an inspection. I know um, mm-hmm. our mutual friend Beth, who got a poodle. Yeah. They made an inspection of her house. Mm. So some of these rescues, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, it's a thing. What it is? Yeah. yeah. Both, both, both times um, we adopted greyhounds, they did an inspection. That did they? Very, it was a very friendly inspection, but oh yes, um, they yeah. both came out and they did a little a little interview. And uh, yeah, and, and and it's hard because I I understand what you're saying too, Tigger. But what my point is is that we know Beth. We know that um my God, I'd give a, a, one of my kids to Beth. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So it's sort of hard. But there are, and the only reason I say that isn't to be is just to really to be the devil's advocate. But you know, when I was in Alta Vista, I did a lot of fostering, and um, you know, there was the Campbell County. Um, and it was a killed pen. I mean, this was a place where in the middle of the night, they you opened a door and you could shove in whatever animal you had. And it could be cats, dogs. Often they would um, go in that room in the mornings and there would be dead animals because they would put the wrong animal. And it was just horrible. So when I would go in there, they would let me take these dogs and foster them. And I would, um, I would you know, kind of get them back to the house and I would, you know, t- I'd keep them about a month to get them in good shape. And then I would start, you know, trying to get them adopted out. Well, I started doing home visits and the people were like, look, lady, <laughs> we, we just don't want to put these dogs to sleep. Let them go wherever they want to go. I'm like, no, I took all this time. And it was interesting to me. I mean, I didn't do it that long because it was too heartbreaking for me to do it. But, um, it was so hard for me because there were a couple places where I'm like, um, you truly, even though you sounded great on the phone and you answered all these great questions, you, you're not ready for a dog. You know, and I went to the place, their house, and I'd be like, you're not ready for a dog. You are not ready for a dog. And so I turned a couple people down. And then, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's really, it's, I think a lot of these dog organizations can get so overkill. And I think so probably what your point is, Tigger, it's, can be yeah. so intense. It can be so intense, and I don't know where you draw the line. You know, I don't know. And where you, you know, I think when you, when it comes to finding a suitable breeder, I for me, it it is being able to to go to their um, their kennel, and that things are you know spick and span, mm-hmm. and that dogs are happy, and they're not trying to sell you a dog. Yep. They want to see which puppy or adult connects with you. Mm -hmm. And they're so more interested in their breed than making a buck. Yeah. And I have been, you know, to some breeders, not of Aussies, but of other breeds that they're all, they were just interested in, and they're not, I wouldn't even consider them puppy mills, Mm. but they were just going to crank out, you know, litters of a very popular dog and and sell them mm. and they were very nice people and their house was very my mother was looking for a bichon mm-hmm. and this woman was breeding bichons and she had three females that had all just given birth mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a lot and of puppies wow a, no actually because they only have like two each um but it just started creeping me out that w- there were no AKC papers. Mm-hmm. No, there were AKC papers, but no Bichon breed papers. Mm-hmm. And the house was spotless, very clean. 
but I just, and she was really pushing my mother for, you know, you've got to pick one. I mean, these puppies were a week old. Mm. And now, if you don't pick one, you know, da, 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 from, I thought, Mom. From the point of view of purchasing from a breeder and trying to find a breeder that is likely to have something that would suit your needs and a reputable breeder, is it appropriate to ask a breeder if you can speak with some other people who have gotten some of their puppies? Yes. Because I think that, I, yeah. would, that would probably yeah. make me feel more comfortable being able to talk to them and um, how the process went um, once your puppy became an adult. Um, did, did things turn out the way you thought? In other words, when you got this puppy, is this puppy as an adult what you expected to get or were there surprises? And just to talk to things like that, uh, yeah. just to kind of, I think that would be something if I was to go but, that but route remember, that I would want to do. If the breeder, if you're asking the breeder for references of people that they've sold puppies to or dogs to, they're probably not going to give you the names of the people who weren't happy. But yeah, also if, if they balk at the idea of doing that, Yes. That's going to be a red flag because they right. don't they yep. don't even bother to keep track. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, if they don't it's like, well, gee, so and so bought bought one from me 4 years ago, if they don't even have that information, that to me yeah. would would send up a red flag because they're not taking the time to follow up on those puppies and keep track of where they went and things mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um kind of like someone who breeds horses commercially where they have 25 foals a year, they take them to the annual yeah. yearling sale. Yeah, they're probably not going to keep really close track versus no. someone who breeds one or two mares and ends up with one foal every year or two foals every year. More likely is going to keep, be keeping track just because of the sheer numbers of it. But um, that's just something that occurred to me whenever if I was to go find a breeder, it was like you know, I'd love to talk to somebody else who got a puppy from this mm-hmm. female, just to get an idea. Yeah, and I yeah. I think actually um, message boards. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, are really good sources. Good you know, I, I'm looking for a golden, and people have yeah. golden, especially on horse bulletin boards. Yeah. They'll jump in and say, Well, I got it from this breeder and I really like her, or we got a puppy from mouth. this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, some, in some ways, the internet isn't so great, but in terms of finding out, you know, reputable breeders and even rescues that going to the horse community at large via, um, message boards can be a great way to get really good information on, you know, where's a, who are good breeders and, and who are good rescues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, and I think the biggest thing is, is like you said, word of mouth. And I think, you know, I, you know, one of the things that I have, and I'm not really sure how I got involved in this, but, um, you know, through Facebook, all these different groups that are placing, you know, animals, um, that are, you know, it, on um facebook i don't trust as much well the only reason and the the people that i and i like i said i have no idea how this happened but um i got kind of somehow in this group and the group that i've gotten involved with and they share about these county places um that has been really a a good thing because you you're you're still dealing with the you're going directly to the shelter or whatever i found Um, that uh, because i belong to lots and lots of groups here locally in florida Closed groups have a tendency to have more useful information for me versus yeah, on Facebook versus yeah. public groups. Generally speaking, if it's a public group, um, I use that 
purely for the social aspect of it. I don't want to find anything mm-hmm. um, factual yeah. or reputable there. It's fun in games versus yeah. the groups that I belong to that are private that you have to ask to be there and then they have an administrator that polices them. Um, it's been my experience that I, I tend to get more useful information there. So if you're going to use that route, um, that's just my point of view. So there you go. So people, yep, if you're getting a puppy go. or a dog, let us know about it. Put it up on the Facebook page. Yeah, wanna... that'd be great. And may- yeah, maybe, maybe Patty might put a pup picture of her puppy on the Facebook page. Maybe. maybe it's 10 years old. Oh, that was hurtful. <laughs> hurtful. Because, you know, once I start, I'm not going to stop. Now that you said that, I'm going to post more pictures on, I'm sending you both more pictures. <laughs> All right. Thank it's time you. to wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Trap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging with your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. (laughs) Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. And Snapchat with your salamander. (laughs) 